so, you know, the brunch crowd is, is joyous. Um, you got Biden coming in. Uh, we're starting to see announcements today of people he is putting in his administration. Uh, one that stuck out to me was Mike Donilon as his senior advisor. This guy is a Democratic Party lifer, uh, corporate Democratic Party lifer, I should say. Uh, he has worked on the campaigns of progressive stalwarts like Joe Lieberman, um, Chris Dodd, <laughs> Al Gore, John Kerry, uh, John Corzine. So gives you kind of an idea. His senior advisor has worked on every neoliberal, uh, cap- pro-capitalist, military-industrial complex, uh, neoliberal campaign of the last probably 30 years. Uh, we also see he's bringing on Cedric Richmond. Uh, he's a Louisiana senator, or excuse me, Louisiana congressman, who I believe takes, out of all congressmen, the most money from oil and gas down there in Louisiana. Uh, he is putting Cedric Richmond in as the liaison between business and <laughs> environmentalists. You can't make this up. The guy who... <laughs> The guy who makes the most money in donations from big oil. Um, And, you know, there's some other fillers. Uh, We don't have to go through the whole list. But basically, your generic Chamber of Commerce, corporate Democrats. Um, As of now, I don't see any Bernie people. I don't even see any Warren people. Um, So we'll get to that in a bit. But I wanted to ask you, because Biden gave this big economic speech yesterday, Um, essentially the speech was heavy on pass the heroes act, which was Pelosi and the Democrats proposal about six, seven months ago. Uh, the original heroes act was $3 trillion, um, extension of unemployment. Uh, I think about, uh, I think nearly a trillion to go to state and local governments, which I actually have an issue with every all economists say that's wonderful but when you read the fine print steve as you know a lot of times they say money's going to states and cities and somehow it gets redirected to donors nonprofits, real estate developers and whatnot but on on first blush president-elect biden his economic plan seems to be pass the heroes act nothing about expanding health care and I'm not hearing anything about direct stimulus or anything like that. Um, should people be excited and, you know, the rescue choppers are coming if you're in economic despair? Now, if I, if I, if I had my druthers, I would have you run the clip of our last interview where I basically say this Biden administration is going to be a Republican administration through and through, basically. And, yeah, I, you know, I, he's going to be a more effective Republican than Trump was. That's the problem. And, you know, his uh, his advisors are stacking up to be nothing. Not, I mean, there's nothing surprising to me at all about this. This is what Joe Biden is. This is what they are. I will tell you, the HEROES Act, the original one was over three trillion dollars. Um, it was still not good enough then. It's now down to $2.2 trillion, and it's still not good enough. Trump administration and their lame duck uh, is offering up $1.6 trillion in stimulus, and it's republicanized, of course. Um, so, no, none of this is anything good. Um, anything is better than nothing, let's be clear, but it's not good. It's not anything to be excited about, and it's most definitely indicative of you know, what's going to happen over the next however long Biden stays in office 
uh, coupled with, uh, you know, if Harris takes over or anything else like that. It, you're, it's going to be much ado about nothing. There are no progressives in that lineup whatsoever. Um, and, you know, again, I mean, Biden has done nothing whatsoever to let anyone believe that he is, in fact, going to be a progressive. He's not a progressive, has never been a progressive. And, you know, I mean, there's an Intercept article going back a ways where they talked about how, you know, Biden pushed Reagan to the right to to try to uh, be even harder on crime. So, I mean, there's absolutely nothing anyone will tell me about Biden that will be shocking in the least. Um, and, you know, to be honest with you, if we get any stimulus out of this, if we get any kind of relief, uh, you know, it, it, it'll be a minor miracle. So I want to I want to get into it. We'll get back into, you know, the people that Biden is surrounding himself. But, you know, the neoliberal uh, line was Heroes Act is amazing because it gives money for states and local governments, which they say is desperately needed. When I say they, the Democratic Party is saying that's desperately needed. It continued this unemployment. Uh, the Democrats wanted it at $600 a week. Uh, in fairness, that $600 a week did keep a lot of people afloat. But the problem was it was a bureaucratic mess for a lot of people to actually receive it. And then there was other things, um, PPP program extension, contract tracing, all those things. But I think what Biden is talking about, which is basically pushing the HEROES Act through, is one part of the puzzle. And I think it's inadequate. The other part is, what is Joe Biden and the Democratic Party going to do about the long-term unemployment disaster afoot? I mean, if you look in, if you look at the numbers, um, you had you have almost five million people in September. So I didn't look at the numbers in October yet. Over five million people in September were unemployed for 15 weeks or more. Then you had uh, 2.5 million were unemployed for 27 weeks or more. I, they, I don't know. The Labor Department says 27 weeks or more is long-term unemployed. I don't know. That seems arbitrary to me. To me, if you've been unemployed for 15 weeks or more, that's long-term unemployment. But the bottom line is we're headed towards 7 to 10 million people that have been unemployed long-term. We're heading into the dark winter with COVID. And frankly, even when that vaccine is distributed, you know where we live. We're not in a country. We're in a corporation. A lot of these jobs aren't coming back even when there is a vaccine. So to me, okay, maybe the HEROES Act would be the short-term Band-Aid, but I see kind of a sequel to the financial crash of 2008 where a lot of these jobs don't come back, but the unemployment number might go down. So Democrats and Biden will declare the economy is improving. Yeah, I think Joe Biden has proven, you know, his the people that he surrounded himself with, um, that, that they're not going to really do anything. There's a lot of people, to be fair, that are hoping that they can push him. Okay. There's a lot of people out there saying Biden's in his last lap, that he might be a legacy guy, that they're seeing cracks in the armor, that they're seeing you know, movement and so forth. Um, it, it, it is extremely possible that the simple numbers of COVID and the fact that we're already trending hockey stick wise up with more cases, uh, looking at lockdowns once again, that's going to create a whole new set of long-term unemployed people uh, with or without a vaccine. Um, and the fact that we're heading into the winter months when we already have other illnesses that typically creep around during that time could create major, major economic chaos 
uh, for the rank and file people, forget the corporations. I mean, just Joe public. And so my suspicion is, is that they, they don't really have an answer to any of these things. They, in, during their um, unity platform with uh, Sanders, uh, economic advisors, et cetera, I previously told you that they rejected a federal job guarantee. Um, there has been proposals out there for nationalizing payroll. Um, there has been a lot of movement. I mean, we had the ABC Act, which was something that Ron Gray had put forward with Rashida Tlaib. Uh, and that was to give people, um, you know, direct payments using EBT cards, et cetera. Um, that hasn't seen the light of day. So there's an awful lot of inactivity and lack of uh, what I consider to be uh, a commitment to regular people uh, to help them. I mean, we, we know empirically by the types of people that he's putting on his staff, the types of uh, focus that he is going to have in terms of that economic pressure. And you can only hope that the AOCs of the world, Rashida Tlaib's and the whole squad actually push him. I don't think Biden's gonna be pushed, to be perfectly honest with you. And I see no meaningful, um, I see no meaningful legislation. Now you said something very specifically about the payments to the states. And let me just say this, states are very much cash strapped and they are very much revenue constrained by their taxes. And the um, the various investments that they have as bondholders at the state level, everything from their their pension programs to basic fundamental services, you name it, tied directly to tax receipts. With the economic activity crawling at the state level, it's very very important that the states do get funding. Now, what that funding looks like though should be very different than what I suspect it will be. To your point, instead of the sweetheart deals to these non-essential things. It would be nice to see block grants given to the states with direct targets towards certain things that will make those states survive these tough times. Uh, right now, I don't see that happening. Uh, it doesn't mean that it won't, but I don't see any movement whatsoever. I, don't, I haven't heard of any bills out there that are recommending block grants to the states. And, and this HEROES Act, to your point, is very, very, very uh, inadequate. It, it needs to be significantly larger because not only do we have to recoup the lost uh, you know, monies for the people that, that have happened over the course of this time and, and the debts they've incurred, but we also have to keep them going and afloat through that time as we lose more and more and more workers as they do shut this economy back down. There's no getting around it. it, it you're already starting to see the states clamping down again. You're starting to see, again, the state of Pennsylvania, um, they're, they're putting more restrictions on, uh, more restrictions on entry into buildings, more restrictions on wearing masks, more restrictions and so forth that are going to impact the economy. So without a really bold answer to that question, I, I, I don't see very, very good things happening, Heroes Act or not. And something else, I mean – we we don't have five hours to go through Obama's legacy, but Obama basically let, you know, working people go belly up. He let the foreclosures, foreclosure uh, crisis go unabated, uh, basically because, you know, Wall Street in large part funded his whole campaign. So we have a moratorium, you know, it keeps getting kind of kicked, the, kick, the can keeps getting kicked down the road. They keep extending the moratorium on evictions, this and that. But as you know, I mean, real estate developers, landlords, uh, uh, banks own a lot of these mortgages and things like that. Eventually, you know, they're going to want their money and 
Joe Biden works for them. The Democratic Party works for them. So short of hearing rent is going to be canceled from March to uh, till vaccine distribution, not just the rent is canceled, but, you know, you got to look out for the landlords. They're not all mega banks. Uh, so landlords, too, you know, their mortgage payments canceled, whatever. Um, you just there's a ticking time bomb waiting to happen. And I it, it seems very remnant of what Obama did. I'm not hearing any language from uh, Biden or anybody on the team he's assembling. What are you going to do about these evictions? You could keep extending the moratorium, but let's say best case scenario, vaccine is widely distributed, distributed in um, by April. Uh, you're going to have nearly a year's rent. <laughs> All do. Maybe they'll maybe they'll yeah. do some deals for tenants that you could pay it back over years. So you're going to have on top of your student loans, a year's worth of rent. Uh, you got to start paying back every month on top of your current rent. So it just seems to me it's it's not a matter of if there's going to be a mass eviction crisis, um, at, which leads to homelessness and all other things. It's just when. And I'm not hearing. I don't know any other. I don't know any other way other than you either cancel the rent or you do what Europe's doing and you give direct UBI and or have government cover the payrolls. So these people can still pay their rent. Yeah, you know, what What I'm very concerned about is, you know, recently in the Wall Street Journal, they were already setting the stage for this is just a natural course of business. This is just a natural flow of the business cycle. These things happen, you know. They retrench, the, the, the uh, people go bankrupt, they give up their land, the, the investors come in, they buy it up, they do this stuff, and it's just a natural way of things, right? And, and I believe, that unfortunately, many of your listeners, my listeners, uh, the average voting uh, American has no concept of the power of the federal government to alter that cycle. And, and because of that, they accept this idea that, you know, there's just nothing we can do about it. And, and they really believe that because they're, they're hell-bent in believing that somehow or another the government's broken. It can't do these things. And it's that paradigm right there. I, I speak to it frequently, but it's that paragram, uh, paradigm right there that is literally keeping us in chains. And, and they're going to play to that. Biden will play to that. I mean, he said in, in various uh, forums that we have the money, we have the money, we have the ability, we have the money. He says these things, but then you don't see any of the real follow-up in terms of policy, bold policy proposals, nothing. Um, and, and, you know, my fear here is, is that we, because we don't believe it, we don't understand that the federal government creates money every time it spends. We're just so accustomed to the government not having any money to pay us, to, to give us anything good in our lives. We're so used to getting the kicked out of us that we accept that. We're, 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 we're just used to being dumped on and we take it. And, and I think that until we accept the fact that our government can in fact and must in fact fix these things, we aren't going to demand of a Biden administration we aren't going to be able to force them left. We aren't going to be able to do anything like that because the people won't make those demands themselves. And until they make those demands themselves, Biden will appeal to the people that are making the most noise. And that is not just my kids upstairs, but that's also 
these Wall Street folks that want their money, like you said. You look at the things he said in his economic speech yesterday, which, dare I say, was a little low energy. He basically was saying, I'm not going to we won't hand out government contracts uh, to companies that offshore jobs. OK, well, Obama said there was going to be no lobbyists in his administration that lasted for about 15 minutes. So then he says, uh, you know, as part of his build back better plan, they're going to give incentives to companies that build make in America. We've heard this, too from previous Democratic administrations. But on the other end, uh, you and I were talking, uh, I didn't hear CNBC or anybody pick this up, but at the end of his speech, he was asked a question, I think by a financial reporter, about uh, not the TPP, a different trade deal that is going through right now that involves China. And he was giving some language, Steve, that made me think, you give this guy a couple days, maybe a month, they'll change some sentences, move some commas, and say... We renegotiated the TPP. It's now more fair to labor and environmentalists. And this is a badly needed trade deal right now as the economy is free falling. And they're going to ram TPP in, which maybe you could explain because uh, it's not a sexy topic. But remember, when Ed Schultz was still with us, uh, RIP, he was fired from MSNBC basically for being the only anchor on MSNBC that would speak out against the TPP. Could you kind of explain to the audience were you reading what Biden said yesterday in his plan, in his speech, similar to me? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think I think the bottom line is, is that, you know, we're fooling ourselves if we want to believe that Biden is not a globalist, a, a neoliberal globalist enabler. And the the he was definitely speaking to the fact that we can't allow China to be the only ones. It's like echoes of Obama. We can't allow China to be the only one controlling commerce blah, blah, blah. And so, yes, Biden is absolutely prepping to have uh, some sort of a trade deal. This is going to be key because that is neoliberal economic policy. Um, you know, they can put all the, you know, we're going to protect workers. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. But that's what Obama said. That's what Clinton said with CAFTA and NAFTA. That's what each of them say. It's what they always say. And the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, we won't know until we see it. But exactly what you said is exactly how I interpreted it. I mean, first of all, again, it's very important to understand that neoliberals are now going to be fully in just completely enmeshed in our government. And, and there's nothing we can do about it short of resist and expect it and fight back. That, that's really all we got. And so you can expect a, a TPP like deal coming anytime now. It's very disconcerting. And, you know, the human toll here, uh, I don't I don't have the video right now, but I just saw the other day there was like lines down the highway in Texas. It looked like a hurricane where people are, you know, literally down the highway, uh, you know, on lines for gas or something like that. Downs lines down the highway in Texas uh, for food. Um, We're seeing food banks all over the country. Um, You're basically seeing small business owners saying, F*** it, I, you know, I have to risk my life and, and staying open uh, because the PPP program was totally inadequate. Frankly, a lot of that PPP money got raided. Uh, money meant for small businesses went to swine like the judge on Shark Tank, who's a multimillionaire. Other donors got PPP money that should have never been eligible. Uh, so to me, you know, even if you wanted to do, play devil's advocate and say, well, you know, Biden doesn't have a wand. Uh, maybe he's not as progressive as you and Steve, but give him some time. Well, the bottom line is, why 
it's the same principle for why can't we be like other countries that give universal health care? Uh, why aren't we doing what Europe's doing? It seems that Europe sees the magnitude of the crisis and is meeting that magnitude with the appropriate response, which is we don't need this whole bureaucratic mess of multiple programs, PPP program, unemployment, all these things. The government can print money. That's what MMT is about. The government could just print the money. And isn't this the time to put the neoliberal narrative? And it would be good, by the way, for Wall Street, which runs the country. It would be good for Wall Street to print the money so that everybody would have UBI. Small business owners could stay open. Um, Why do you think it is that, I mean, we don't know because he's not in there yet, but he has said nothing about either direct stimulus payments uh, direct, not checks once a month, but monthly. He said nothing about that, and he and he said nothing about uh, his his advice. He has a COVID advisor who kind of vaguely said, if we have to have a lockdown, maybe we would cover payrolls. But that was the most I've heard of the government covering payrolls. Why won't they do that if it would be beneficial for their donors? Well, it's about power too, right? So when when we we look at money. Money is not what these people are dealing in. They're dealing in land. They're dealing in resources. They're dealing in real wealth. The cash is nice. It's king. For us, we the people that flourish in this economy or drown in this economy. But for those people, it's about ownership. It's about power. It's about being able to make decisions and calls. And by leaving us desperate and allowing them to have control and retrench into that, um, you know, they can resell those things on the, do- you know, on the cheap. They can resell the world on the cheap. Everything that we lose when the th- economy goes bad, they come in and buy and then they resell it back to us at a at a different price. Right. So they get to make money no matter which way they go. And Jamie Dimon is famous for saying that, you know, hey, these recessions and depressions, they're really bad for Jane and Joe public, but they're pretty good for us over here at J.P. Morgan. And, and there's a reason for that is because they get to buy up everything and then resell it. And they get to set the market. They get to make the determinations of what happens and what doesn't happen. So, so much of this is based on them being able to create speculator markets, being able to have access to real resources on the cheap. And, and, and really, at the end of the day, it's about the business cycle benefiting capital once again and leaving the people out to dry. And Joe Biden is a servant of capital. He is, regardless of whether people want him to be a good guy or not. No amount of blue brain is going to change the fact that Biden is a lifelong neoliberal. And and this is who he is. This is what he is. And Harris is a Clinton uh, devotee, sycophant, whatever you want to call her. She is one of the people right on the heels of Clinton. And they both share the same ideological view so nothing will fundamentally change. He is a capitalist, and he is absolutely your standard Reagan Republican. And, and that, that doesn't serve them to spend on the people. It serves them to allow that natural business cycle to take place where people lose, business takes over, resells, and starts the economy back up again in that way. It creates opportunity through everyone's misery. And that's standard neoliberal, you know, that's that's what they do. That's that's the neoliberal game plan, man. I wish I could say it was different, but people don't listen. They they get swept up in the goodness of the D and they forget that neoliberals are going to be neoliberals. It's not a matter of whether they're a Democrat or Republican. 
they're going to eat us for dinner. And, um, and that's pretty much what I'm afraid is going to happen. So let's talk about progressives because, you know, I mean, as always, progressives like to fight each other and uh, eat each other's own. Uh, you got kind of the Jimmy Dore school of thought, burn it all down. Uh, we need a new party, um, you know. AOC, even the squad, uh, he has criticisms of. Uh, and then you have, you know, progressives and the squad and Bernie, which is let's keep chipping away. We've won seats in Congress in 2018, now 2020. We got Jamal Bowman coming in, Corey Bush, uh, with the Democratic Party now having a narrow majority in the House because they're totally, you know, a disaster and lost to Republicans. They were supposed to grow their House majority. They lost seats. Actually, that squad, so to speak, uh, those seven to 10 progressives, their votes actually start to get more powerful because if the Democratic Party in the House loses the progressives vote, they don't have that majority because their majority was narrowed. Uh, what do you think? Because I've told my audience, I mean, I, I think it's you know, I think there's a better chance of me growing a six pack by the end of the year than moving Biden left. So what can progressives do? So, you know, you spoke of Jimmy Dore and you spoke of the squad side, et cetera. And I think that we have to look at both angles here. Right. I think that the Democratic Party um, has proven to us once and for all that they have more centrist numbers that, that, that they're not going to go out to the streets. They're not going to be a part of a you know, a rally there. They're just the older voters or voters that are just watch MSNBC, um, still red scare, you know, uh, fearful uh, people. Um, and they've got huge number. And that's why they were able to collapse the establishment around Bernie Sanders. I mean, Bernie was winning if nobody drops out of the race. But once Bernie drops, you know, keeps going and the others drop out, you see that the centrist uh, majority is a super majority in that party. I mean, we, we are a small group compared to what centrists are, unfortunately. And, and you look at all the disaffected voters in the world, the people that have checked out that are no longer part of a party, and you start to see that there is a real opportunity for progressives to build a third party. So that said, I, I support any effort that applies pressure to the system that will allow us to do it. That said, People that are going to be passing legislation today, for those people that are going to die tomorrow, that may have COVID today, that you know are homeless or jobless or whatever, they need legislation now. They don't need your piety. They need legislation right the hell now. They need help right now. And unfortunately, there are no third parties right now passing legislation because they're not in power right now. So you got to have an inside-outside strategy because the inside isn't going to do anything without pressure from the outside. So I like to think of non-electoral uh, energies to pushing for, you know, real honest to God change in, in terms of, you know, domestic policy, foreign policy, you name it. And so I think that progressives need to really be uniting around what it is that they want, not around the party per se, not around the personalities, but the actual things that they want. Medicare for all. You saw that the people that won the elections or people that supported Medicare for all. The people that didn't support Medicare for all lost the elections. And that's a fact, Jack. So if you start looking at what is a progressive and what does a progressive want, and we unite behind that and we, we punch anyone that goes against it, that's the thing. We punch anyone that goes against it. We don't defend Biden. We don't defend AOC even. If AOC is wrong, we 
we recognize that she's wrong. And that's the only way that progressives are going to really be able to push anyone. This whole idea of, you know, I'm okay, you're okay, we're okay, now let's go to brunch. That's cancerous. That's really, really bad stuff. So, you know, while Jimmy, I have my issues with Jimmy Dore and I have my issues with the Dem Enter strategy, I don't have issues with the platform that we all kind of want, regardless of which angle of strategy we're taking. And, you know, I mean, I'm going to break out the commie card here for a <laughs> minute. If you go back to Lenin and, and what is to be done and you know some of his writings back then, especially in the last chapters, he starts talking about a unified media, the ability to have propaganda, the ability to agitate. We've got to remember these things. We got to remember what it's like to unite on the issues, not on the parties. The parties divide us, unfortunately. And by being divided by party instead of being united on our principles and our values, regardless of whether we're thinking third party or thinking Democrat, I think that we lose. The only way we win is to unite around those issues and, and really start remembering what it's like to create a union picket line start remembering what it's like to actually bring commerce to a halt, to stop traffic, to stop things, and to, to make bold, direct action. Those days, a lot of union tactics are now illegal. They've made being a union very, very challenging. So the one thing I'd like to see is you see the public sector unions right now. Those public sector unions are very strong, the teachers union, the nurses. Uh, there's a bunch of different unions out there that really have some power to influence and to pressure and to push. Now, the question will be, will they push for the right things? Will those unions listen to their membership or will they follow those leaders that take baths in the bathhouses of Washington, D.C. together? And I, so I think a lot of it's going to come down to non-electoral, strength in numbers, issue-oriented fighting. And, and that's, to me, the only way progress is going to be made because the parties, there's no way we win it just in the Democratic Party. The Democratic Party is just not going to serve us in that way. It's just not. No matter how much we want it, it's just not. Not without external pressures. So that's where Jimmy's strategy and the third party strategy and the, the whole concept there can work together. I do think that they tend to eat everything. They're like skimming every headline to find some fault with AOC, to find some fault with you know Omar and, and all of them. So to that extent, I understand you're, you're, you're talking about politicians, politicians that must make deals and negotiate with one another. And unfortunately, they're part of an apparatus that is an establishment apparatus. So they've got to play nicely within there. They have no power otherwise. That's the sucky thing. We don't have the numbers. No matter how much our attitude is there, no matter how much rage and outrage we have, we don't have the numbers in these representative uh, positions. So until we develop the kind of strong backbone from like union-like tactics. I, I don't, I don't think we're going to see the kind of change. So progressives, you know, we got some decisions to make. And, and to me, the one thing that we should all be able to unite around period, the MMT mindset, the idea that the federal government can pay for it all. And they're lying to us. If we use that as the cornerstone for what we're fighting for, all of those programs, all of that stuff, all the straw men arguments that they throw at us about affordability go right out the window. And that is the entry point by which we can really, really attack each one of our, our things, a Green New Deal, Medicare for all, ending student debt, all those very important things, eliminating rent, rent moratorium, rent cancellation, COVID payments, 
you know, the temporary UBI, expanding Social Security, a federal job guarantee, all of that comes with understanding that the federal government can pay for it all. And if we start uniting around that core principle and stop, oh, the private federal, shut up. Just get with the program and deal with the fact that we can afford it. We never talk about the private Federal Reserve when we bomb the hell out of Yemen and other places. Stop talking about it when we're trying to pay for health care, goddammit. I mean, just focus on what we can do. And that right there, that core principle, if we can do that, I think we can see some change, Jordan. I was going to say, Steve, listen, ain't my first rodeo. I've been around the country for five years. I don't want to minimize what Black Lives Matter is doing. I don't want to minimize what Fight for 15 or Climate uh, Sunrise Movement or any of these people are doing. But at, at a certain point, you kind of got to read the tea leaves. We could all march around till we're blue in the face. We could march for blocks, for cities, and keep on marching. And the capitalist plutocracy will wait us out. Uh, as long as we're not marching around their yachts, as long as we're not marching around, you know, their summer vineyards, uh, as long as they are, you know, cocooned, they live in their cocoon and we're not disturbing them, they'll say, all right. Let them march. You know, the police will bash their heads in. It'll last for six months, and that will be that. So I've been saying, and you said a little bit of this in, in your last uh, answer, uh, the progressive movement, I don't care if it's Dem Exit, Dem Enter, mo- Movement for a People's Party, uh, Take Over the Democratic Party, whatever it is, whatever faction. Progressive movement needs not only to have bodies on the ground, not only bodies outside the White House protesting, but you got to start protesting with your wallet. And uh, we haven't seen that since maybe the 1950s and 60s when there was organized labor was the backbone of the Democratic Party. And we organized labor was a huge, huge force. So we could get concessions from corporate CEOs, corporate America. Uh, But the Republicans and frankly, Bill Clinton and Democratic accomplishments have destroyed organized labor. So to me, I would like to see progressive groups. We know they're not going to go back to sleep under Biden. They're already showing that. But where is the economic protest component in terms of can we get enough people to, to uh, strike against Amazon? Not just for a day. Let's start for a week. Maybe we could broaden it. What about fast food companies? What about big banks? What about uh, expanding divestment campaigns? This is the only way Joe Biden is going to move left because the only way you get any politician to move left is to threaten the real rulers, their donors. Your thoughts, you know, I think that, you know, we don't like to talk about violence and, you know, it's usually the first thing we go, oh, no, 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 what's can't possibly do that. Um, and I'm not here to advocate for violence. But I do think that the kind of disruptions and agitation that have to occur have to be substantive. They have to be forceful and they have to be pointed and specific. They can't just be kind of loosey-goosey and Whatever that takes, I'm not going to describe a specific action that I think should or should not take place, but I will tell you that the more timid we are in our demands, the less likely we are to get them met. And, um, you know, I again, I, I really think it's very important that we get past some of our red scare fears and start looking at how labor once used to unite back in the Industrial Revolution. There's lessons there to be learned. All of Europe, they, the, the Soviet Union didn't exist at the time. It was just Russians, and, and they, they, the labor forces talked to one another. They, they discussed theory. They discussed praxis. They discussed tactics. 
they 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 had underground channels. They they operated as a system, as an organization, as a group of people that were fighting back. And of course, you had the social democrats of the time who were always ready to make peace with capital, etc. But in reality, you look at labor as a whole, and they were very very serious. They were committed. I think that we need to really examine our history, dig deep and find times where it's been successful and start trying to model some of those behaviors because otherwise this whole loosey-goosey, I'm okay, you're okay, sitting in the basement hanging out kind of stuff, that isn't going to get us a Green New Deal. That's not going to get us health care. It really isn't. And, and all the likes and, and shares and all the other social media stuff is definitely not going to win the day. It's going to require some form of unified action, um, you know, and, and I, hope that, I hope that people start taking a real hard look at that because without it, we, we, don't, we really don't stand a chance. For those of you uh, who recall in my old days, uh, I froze my little tushy uh, over at Standing Rock um, in 2016 and 2017 to show you uh, what American fascism looks like. Uh, and in Standing Rock, uh, you had the North Dakota, uh, specifically um, Morton County Sheriff's Department, um, basically, you know, shooting grenades at Native Americans and environmental an activists who were unarmed, uh, freezing water, tear gas, pepper spray, uh, all sorts of horrific things uh, in service of a private oil company. Um, so... The police, oh, they obeyed their orders in service to a private oil company, which is corporate fascism at its finest. Uh, and then adding insult to injury, if you remember back to the Standing Rock days, the Trump administration reimbursed the police department, the North Dakota uh, Morton County Sheriff's Office. They reimbursed their law enforcement costs, overtime, equipment, all that for beating the living that the Native Americans and environmental activists. So the government basically covered the expenses for this fascism in service of big oil. Okay? So on one end, the North Dakota police, paid for by the taxpayers, by the way, um, were happy to obey orders from above in deference to private oil. But when the North Dakota governor issues a mask mandate, by the way, the North Dakota governor is Republican. North Dakota is as red as they come. Here is a local sheriff responding to the North Dakota governor mass mandate as North Dakota has been just overtaken by COVID. It is insane right now in North Dakota and South Dakota uh, in terms of COVID cases. Uh, private oil, big oil, no problem. We'll obey your orders. We'll beat up protesters. Uh, will shoot grenades. A 21-year-old nearly lost her arm because they shot a grenade at her back at Standing Rock. But here is um, the McKenzie County Sheriff's response to the North Dakota governor uh, about the mask mandate. In response to the mask mandate that has been put out by the state, Governor Burgum stated he wanted law enforcement to prioritize education in their enforcement, providing warnings and education about the risk of transmission and re reserving penalties for the most egregious violations that put the public health at risk. The McKenzie County Sheriff's Office will not be enforcing any mass mandates and we will not be enforcing mandates on businesses. We feel 
that to do so takes away from your liberty to live freely under the Constitution of the United States. As residents of North Dakota, our preamble states, quote, we, the people of North Dakota, grateful to the almighty God for the blessings of civil and religious liberty, do ordain and establish this Constitution. Under that section, one states that we are independent and free. As such, we should be free to choose for ourselves if we will wear a mask or not wear a mask. As sheriff, I believe the Constitution and Declaration of Independence say it best that we should each be free to govern ourselves as a state and as a nation. To that accord, this mandate is not a law that we have passed or desire to see pass. With that established, the McKenzie County Sheriff's Office will not be enforcing any such mandate. Oh, boy. Where do you begin? Where do you even begin, folks? And let me get the numbers just to give you the completely updated numbers. Uh, where's my COVID tracker? COVID tracker. Yesterday in America, we had 149,000 cases, 581 deaths. So deaths were a little bit down, but cases are still through the roof. Uh, you've been seeing 150,000, 160,000 cases uh, over the last week. Uh, and in one case, one day, I think it was closer to one, 170,000 cases. But yesterday, you had 153,000 cases. Let me look uh, just at North Dakota, where this Fakakta sheriff uh, apparently, you know, believes freedom to act like an idiot and not wear a mask. Uh, the right to do that apparently outweighs the right to live for those that do care about living more than the tyranny of wearing a mask. Uh, if you look at North Dakota, let's see. Uh, yesterday, they had a thousand, over a thousand cases in North Dakota. Deaths at seven. But the point, what we have seen with COVID across the country, it takes a while for the deaths to start catching up to the cases. So you see in North Dakota, they're up 21% in terms of cases over the last two weeks. They're up 20, uh, they're, they're up 27% among deaths. That death count is going to start increasing uh, because it takes a little while. Uh, you know, once cases are identified, it takes a while for things to get really bad and frankly, for people to die. So what's amazing to me, and just to be clear, this is not the same. This is not the same sheriff. This is not the same county as Standing Rock. So in the terms of Standing Rock, that was Morton County Sheriff, uh, who was very quick and very, very eager to obey uh, a private oil company's orders. Uh, the the uh, Morton County Sheriff was basically serving as the protective police force for big oil. Uh, if you remember, President Obama, his Department of Homeland Security, his U.S. Marshals, his FBI was working at the time with the Morton County Police and North Dakota uh, troopers to infiltrate the camp of water protectors, to insert moles, FBI moles in the camp, to surveil the camp. So everybody got very, you know, up in a tizzy that Donald Trump sent federal troops into Portland. Rightly so. We should have been upset. The same people that were outraged at that didn't say a god thing when Obama's federal troops were working with North Dakota state officials to surveil and, frankly, attack peaceful protesters. So that was Morton County Sheriff. This is a different county. But the bottom line is, it's all the same. It's North Dakota law enforcement. Look at those priorities. So 
the North Dakota police, Morton County Sheriff, in 2016 and 2017, they didn't care at all about the constitutional rights of Native Americans, of environmental activists that came from around the country, and by the way, the world, to protest at Standing Rock on behalf of the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe, on behalf of the Cheyenne River Sioux Tribe, on behalf of the Oglala Sioux, excuse, my, excuse me if I'm mispronouncing, tribe. They didn't care about those protesters' constitutional rights. Remember they called them eco-terrorists? It's, you're an eco-terrorist for banging drums, dancing, singing, and peacefully protesting against uh, a literally a ticking time bomb, a crude oil pipeline going underneath the longest river in the United States, the Missouri River, which ser- served drinking water downstream to 20 million people. Not to mention the desecration of the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe's uh, ancestral burial grounds, their reservation. This was going right through their reservation. It's interesting that the North Dakota police didn't give a flying f- excuse my French, swear jar, didn't give a flying f- about people's constitutional rights then. But now, in a different county, they're literally disobeying the governor of the state, a Republican. They're, dis- they're disobeying a Republican governor's mask mandate because they care very much about the constitutional freedoms of people not to wear a mask. This is culture war on steroids. And you know who I blame? Donald Trump. I've never had Trump derangement syndrome. I got for the last four and a half years for not covering him 24-7. But this psychosis, this don't tread on me, I, I, I would rather die than wear a mask. This um, mass becoming the new guns, this came from the top. You know this is a cult that follows Trump. You know that in March and April, if Trump would have acted like a strong man, if Trump would have worn a mask, if Trump would have attacked people who won't wear masks as socialists and communists and, and tore them down, every one of those in North Dakota and South Dakota and all these states that won't wear masks, would be following their fearless leader. Is he responsible for coronavirus? No. Did a lot more people die because this president was out to lunch in March and April? He didn't want to do a goddamn thing about this. As he told Bob Woodward uh, on tapes that were later released, I wanted to play it down all along. This is why you have radical sheriffs like this in North Dakota. This is why you have radical public officials uh, all over the country now defying mask mandates partly to rise in their own political profile and, you know, capitalize off of Trumpism and, you know, look like they're leading some new civil rights movement against masks. But they're all following Trump. And frankly, who's going to die? Who's going to suffer? These same idiots in North Dakota that are refusing to wear the masks. I'm not here to tell you wearing a mask is 100% foolproof. In April, I got coronavirus and I uh, had worn a mask when I went outside. So it's not 100% foolproof, but there's study after study after study that says if you wear a mask, you, your chances of con- con- spreading the virus or contracting it go down as much as 70%. You know, I asked the Trump supporter, uh, are you t- is wearing a seatbelt tyranny? We all agree wearing a seatbelt because wearing a seatbelt doesn't 100% stop. I mean, if if your car flips over or you get hit by a Mack truck, 
you could die. You, you know, you're likely to die wearing a seatbelt or not. But it certainly gives you a better chance than not wearing a seatbelt. Why is this any different? 